Growing a business is hard, but it does not have to be. Once a week, we take a break from the hustle and bustle in business to talk about innovations and what's new in the C-suite. This is the Fractional C-Suite Retreat, and I'm Joseph Frost. Pull up a seat at the fire, grab a drink, smoke a cigar, and just join me as we relax, learn, and get inspired. This retreat is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow with better marketing strategy. Today's guest is uh, Sharon Mean. Sharon is a QuickBooks Certified Pro Advisor, um, member of the Ohio Society of Certified Public Accountants. She has proven expertise in driving efficiency and productivity through evaluation of financial management systems and implementation of process improvements. Uh, she's a fractional integrator, a chief operating officer at Entrepreneurial Advisor Institute, and a lot more. Welcome, Sharon. Glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's great. Well, I'm excited to have you. And uh, I love our first question because it gets right into some of the opportunities that uh, you and I and other fractional professionals see uh, in the C-suite. So what is the one or two opportunities that you see when you're working with clients uh, at the C-suite level that they may or may not uh, be aware of? From your perspective, what is one opportunity they might be missing out on? Yeah, I think the big opportunity is just the people aspect. And there's a, you know, a great number of people resigning and um, it might be a great opportunity for people to bulk up their org chart or accountability chart, as we say in EOS, um, to maybe get some people that uh, they were have been looking for or would kind of um, move the needle um, for the corporation or firm to, you know, kind of get better and to grow and for some strategy into that. Um, and also to make sure that, you know, your accountability chart, the people that you have there are in the right seats and they're the right people, um, because, you know, this might be an opportunity to either move someone to a different seat and replace that person with, a, you know, another person or, you know, um, kind of help them out to see that they should be somewhere else, because obviously there's opportunities right now so that um, you're not kind of leaving people high and dry if like it just doesn't work out with your firm, which I know is a difficult topic. Um, but I see that this is a good um, opportunity for people to really shore up the, the, the people that they're working with and for and um, make sure that they're, they're on the, you know, the right page and the same, you know, right people in the right seats. Yeah. So I hear you talking a lot of EOS traction there. Yes. Right people, right seat. Uh, yes. We'll get into that in a second. But first, let's talk about the great resignation that's going on. How have you yeah. seen, how have you been impacted by it yourself and how have you seen other, other, other clients be impacted by it? I mean, fortunately, I haven't seen too much of it um, personally, um, but I do know that there's a lot of movement out there. And when people are trying to, to hire, um, there just does seem to be, um, you know, a, a more amount of candidates, more people that are coming in. So it seems like it's, there's a lot of movement where, you know, some, some years you, you know, you could throw a job opportunity out there and nobody would, would pick it up or, um, you didn't get a lot of responses, but it just seems like, you know, there's a lot of momentum for people to, to shift into different things. Um, but I really haven't seen anything yet too negatively, um, other than, you know, a, a, a lot of the wages are, are going up salaries um, than maybe, you know, we were accustomed to previously. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, the, the amount of candidates out there, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty good number. Yeah. And do you see those candidates being, um, segmented in different levels, you know, hourly versus you know, salary versus even C-level leadership. 
you see some uh, movement there at all different levels of type of employee? I really do. I think that, you know, um, you know, people are kind of taking stock of where they are and what they want to do. And so I do see movement in all levels of, you know, people just trying to um, perhaps move to something that is a better fit for them um, than, you know, where they had been previously. And I think it kind of like opened people's eyes to new opportunities and, and kind of like swinging for the fences for what they really wanted to do. Yeah. And so how can companies to really embrace that? Is it, uh, as an integrator, uh, EOS implementer, um, someone who follows EOS quite a bit, I understand that you know, you've got the org charts and the right people, right seat, but right. practically speaking, how does a company or a business owner think about seizing this opportunity right now? I think, you know, it comes down to the org chart or the accountability chart to make sure that you kind of audit um, who is in all of the seats and um, if they actually, you know, get it, want it and have capacity to do it is what we say it's a GWC. Um, and they want to make sure that, you know, they're utilizing everyone to their best abilities and their, and their best skill sets. I mean, putting somebody who's not detail oriented in a very detail oriented position is, um, you know, a recipe for disaster and failure. So maybe that person could be helpful in other areas. And um, I think this is an opportunity for people to kind of reevaluate and then go out and get somebody that, you know, maybe wouldn't have been available or wouldn't have looked at, you know, them as a company, making it attractive um, to work there. So I think the great resignation is uh, a symptom of people just being dissatisfied in general, historically with work and wanting to pursue their, you know, their passion or their happiness areas. Or yeah. their, and it's now easier than ever to do that with the virtual workforce and remote workforce. But what I just heard you say was interesting. It, it might be an opportunity just to take advantage of maybe that dissatisfaction internally. Like they don't have to, someone doesn't have to leave their company maybe to oh, do a no. different role, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, that's what, you know, one of the first things you try to do is try to move them to something that better suits their skill set. Um, they could be a, a right person, meaning, you know, hey, they're a great individual. I like Joe, you know, he's, he's a good guy, um, but he just, he's not detail oriented. And, you know, it's, know. <laughs> you know, like in my business, it's AP work, you know, and it's like, he keeps making some mistakes, but maybe he'd be better off, you know, auditing something on uh, a one-off or getting, you know, diving into, you know, the, the being at a higher level of things than actually inputting something. Um, so I think that that's, uh, you know, taking stock of people, you can do like a delegate and elevate um, exercise, which puts, you know, things that you like to do, things that you are good at, but don't like to do, it kind of puts them in different quadrants. Um, it's one of the EOS tools. Um, and so like using something like that, you could say, oh, well, you know, Joe really likes to do this. So maybe we need help in our marketing department. Um, maybe he'd be a better fit over there than when we hired him in to do an AP clerk. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and is that, an integrator's job to have those discussions, make those decisions, looking at that, that artboard chart, or is that a CEO or visionary's job to be doing some of that work? I think it's an integrator's job to bring up the conversation. I think that's what I see my role is, is that I don't lead people. I don't make decisions for people. And I don't, you know, I tell them what I see. Um, and I'm very candid about that. But I don't, you know, I'm not making the hard and fast decisions and rules. I think that has to come as a, you know, a, as a group effort um, with maybe the CEO, the visionary, you know, um, 
me, you know, a couple of the key leadership team members to kind of really hash it out. So for those that aren't familiar with EOS Traction Integrators, how would you explain it? Like a chief operating officer, general manager, operations manager, what, what would you use to describe an integrator for non-EOS folks? So how I describe it is they're the people that get stuff done. So the visionary comes up with, you know, a lofty goal, a thing to pursue, something to look into. And, you know, they hand it off to the integrator to chunk it out and ferret out the, what, how it needs to be done and who's going to, and who really is responsible for it. So, um, you know, it's assigning the who to something that, you know, we have decided because, you know, we, the visionary has ideas, but we have to decide as a leadership team that that's what we want to do. And then it's part of the integrator's responsibility to make sure that people are held accountable for getting those things done that we have determined are, is the best direction for the company. So how is that done fractionally and not with yeah. a full-time person? Right. So, I mean, it can be done with a full-time person. You can find someone in your organization that just, you know, really gets it. They, they like holding people accountable. Um, you know, EOS is not uh, a revolutionary idea in the fact that people have been integrators for decades without knowing that they were an integrator. I mean, they're just the, the CEOs of the company that, you know, really know how to get things done and hold people accountable and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, so that's always the first step. But if you really don't have anyone in the company that really has the capacity to do it or wants to do it, um, then that's when you look for somebody to do it fractionally. And when I come in, I kind of, you know, work with the leadership team, um, manage the meetings, manage, you know, the accountability of the team members to getting things done, um, holding weekly meetings with the leadership team um, to discuss uh, their goals and rocks um, there, you know, if we've gotten our to do's done for the previous week, and then we go over, you know, any issues that have come up um, during the week that we need to address at the leadership team. Yeah, that's interesting. You've got a, as a fractional, um, your role, particularly a fractional integrator or COO, or, uh, you're the boss now. And in my role, and our company's role as fractional CMOs, we come in and lead a department, but not the right. entire organization. Right. Um, how easily do or do people accept you uh, when you come in as a fractional integrator that's not full-time and you're trying to direct and tell full-time leadership team members what to do and, and hold them accountable? That's got to be a challenge. It's, it's, a, it's a good challenge. I like, you know, I like to work with people. And so I, I think working one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, directly from the start, having, you know, some weekly, bi-weekly, monthly meetings with, you know, everyone on the leadership team to see how I can help them, how I can assist them, that I'm here, you know, to help and not to just, you know, um, bark orders at people or, you know, make sure or hold their feet to the fire. It's more of a collaborative issue. Um, if something isn't getting done, it's more like, well, how can we help you get it done? Or what would you need? What resources would you need to be able to get this done? Not just telling people, oh, you, you should have had that done. And why didn't you? But giving them the tools to complete what they were you know, held accountable for. So I think, you know, the first thing that I try to do is just help. Um, I lead with, you know, how can I help you? What can we do for you? Um, and then I think that that builds trust. And then, you know, we eventually get to a place where, you know, we're holding leadership meetings that are very, you know, candid and fluid. And um, we have some, you know, nice discourse with, you know, people um, agreeing, not agreeing, but getting, you know, to a good resolution. 
So who's usually bringing you in? Is it a, uh, a board? Is it a team that recognizes a need for some, some support and infrastructure? Is it a, a visionary owner that just doesn't, is trying to exit that role in, in or herself? What, what's, or all of the above? <laughs> yeah. I mean, typically it is the visionary because what the visionary will try to do is try to hold both seats a lot of times on their own. Um, and so once they realize that the better purpose and their best use is to be a visionary and that really everything about being an integrator is kind of contradictory to visionary, you know, attributes. I mean, there are very few um, visionaries that can be both. There are some, um, but there again, that's a, that's a tough load to have. And I think um, in meeting situations, especially like when we do, you know, our weekly L10 meetings, I think it does it helps to have somebody else there um, besides the visionary holding both seats because it tends to be very um, visionary heavy and people just want to please the visionary, the CEO, and they don't, you know, they'll just go along with things because they're like, well, I mean, he's the owner, you know, I should, uh, I should go along with that. So I think it, um, I think when they see that fact that they're not getting the traction that they would like to get, um, I think they try to bring somebody in. Um, and then I've also gotten, you know, if, if there's an implementer involved in their EOS process, um, they pretty much, you know, they, they say, hey, you're going to need an integrator. And if it isn't someone in the company or perhaps somebody in the company has tried to be the integrator, um, you know, a lot of times they're just like, oh, well, you know, Frank looks like he's good with, you know, uh, ha having meetings and agendas. We'll have him be the integrator. If he doesn't really want to or have the capacity to do it. Um, he's not going to be able to, and it's not, you're not going to get the full benefit of, of EOS and implementing that. Yeah. Do you work with non-EOS companies, people that don't have any strategic operating system or a different one? Absolutely. Yes. I work with, you know, companies of all different, you know, types. Uh, it doesn't have to be EOS. I think a lot of the, just the strategic planning of it are, you know, are really universal um, and you don't have to do a full-blown implementation. Some, some companies are too small. I mean, quite frankly, you need a, a nice leadership team to really roll out EOS in its proper form. So if you just want to kind of instill the values of those kinds of things with having maybe a smaller team or, you know, just a solopreneur kind of thing, um, then you definitely, you know, you know, modify it however it's, you know, works for them. Yeah. Um. So how did you get into this role of a fractional integrator? Can you share that story? Yeah. So I um, work at Redmond Accounting as their COO and um, was going to an accounting conference. And someone there uh, was talking about the book Traction um, by Gina Wickman and didn't mention EOS, but mentioned the things that he was instituting in his firm and how um, you know, it was really beneficial. And so I brought it to our leadership team at Redmond Accounting and said, hey, I think this is something we should do. Um, and it's, you know, that's one of those things in life, right? You, you like find something and then like you, you see three other, you talk to somebody else and they're like, oh yeah, I'm doing it. And, oh, I did it already. And um, so it kind of like confirms that, hey, this is probably what I should be doing too. So we implemented it, the accounting firm. And then I really liked it. Um, I was obviously the you know, natural integrator because I just really, really liked it. Um, and I just thought, well, we should roll this out to our clients as well, not just us. Um, so 
we asked a few of our clients and, you know, they were game. So we um, helped them um, implement EOS. Uh, I was a fractional integrator and they had an implementer that they were using. And um, so then I just thought, well, not everyone has that opportunity to have a, uh, an integrator in-house or, you know, is one of our clients. So um, I kind of rolled that out uh, last year and um, have been taking some fractional clients on as well. Yeah, that's great. Now, do your fractional clients need to also be um, clients of your law firm? I mean, your, your accounting firm or? Did no, they... no, there's, yeah. So I'm doing this separate from the accounting firm. Yeah. 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 So do you like the fractional integrator role more than the accounting role? I've been a CPA for 30 plus years. So it's, yeah, it's nice to, you know, kind of um, step out of it a little bit and, you know, just be the integrator. Um, one of my favorite things is when, you know, we're going around the leadership table and um, there's a CFO or controller that's holding the financial seat. And, you know, when they ask for numbers, they go to them instead. I mean, I know the numbers and I'm, you know, helpful with them, but I like that someone's responsible for the, uh, accumulation of the numbers and, you know, presenting them. Yeah. I think, um, it'd be hard to, 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 you know, bite your tongue sometimes, I suppose. Yes. Being so attuned to the numbers. How do you, do you feel like that gives you an edge as a, as an integrator having that background? I think it does because a lot of the groundwork for EOS is financial. I mean, you, they want you to come up with a one-year plan and a three-year plan and a five-year plan. Um, and a lot of times, you know, companies don't have any basis in that. They, you know, just run in their numbers. Um, they don't have, they do a tax return. They don't have any forecasts or budgeting or anything in place. So it's hard when an implementer sits down and says, okay, well, what, what do you think a three-year goal is? And they're like, I, I have no idea. I mean, we just, you know, this is what we've done this year and last year and I don't, we have no idea. So I think when you have somebody like I, I am, because, you know, as an implementer, you don't have the kind of time um, you usually do, like, you know, a day meeting. Um, so you don't have time to go through their financials. So that's where I think it helps if I can step in and say, OK, you know, this is kind of leading them what they need to do and the kind of the process. I think EOS is sometimes a little high level um, and it doesn't tell you the how to do it. Um, for example, even in the marketing aspect of it, they'll say, you know, what are your three uniques or um, what's your ideal client or your demographic, your psychograph? Well, those are all things that, you know, you do as a marketing person, it, but, you know, they might not have any marketing help at all. So they're not going to have any idea how to do that. Yeah, it definitely. It's a great framework, but it falls sh short in some of the depth. In the, in Correct. Areas. Yes. It's almost like, yeah, you're supposed to have additional help. Like it's like the implementer, he's going to come in, he's going to tell you how to, you know, implement EOS, but then if you really want to do it correctly, you're not going to just listen to your implementer who tells you maybe what your three key uniques are, um, because how would they know, really? Um, you need someone with some experience. Yeah, and our big deal is I, I love EOS. I, I like the framework they give for thinking about marketing. It does simplify it for a business owner that you got to, who's your audience and uh, how can you be unique and different to that audience? Um, but it still works around the idea of let's figure that out together in a boardroom with all the owners who are very insulated from real world customer client conversations. So what we do, and I recommend all business owners do this, is actually go out and talk to your customers, do the buyer interviews, find out you know, what, what really the problems they're having that you're solving, 
and what they really are looking for from a decision criteria so you can understand how you can differentiate uh, solving their problems. Uh, having those conversations with the actual clients are uh, so important and valuable. As, as a marketer, I'll put my marketing hat on just for a moment yes. there. Uh, you just, that doesn't happen naturally in the U.S. Um, and really in any no. strategic planning process does no. that happen. No, because it, again, takes a, a level of expertise that one person that you are going to you know, outsource this to wouldn't have. Um, and that's a, that's a great example of getting out there and asking your clients what they want instead of, you know, y'all sit in a table and say, this is what we think we're offering. Like, well, that's not really why they're going with you or why, you know, they've picked you. Um, and it would be a great marketing angle to use that instead. So if I, if, if I had a company that needed help with uh, evaluating my um, seats right now, with and try to take advantage of this opportunity that that is the great resignation. What would be your approach? You get engaged, not and fictitionally, it's my company. Yeah. Do you have a process you follow, kind of a standard procedure, or do you kind yes. of make it up as you go? Or walk me through your steps of doing this work. Yeah. So definitely, there's a process for everything. That's also a big part of EOS is you know having a process and being able to replicate it because that's the best way to do things. Um, but, you know, starting off with looking at, you know, your org chart, if you will, if you have something like that. And then when we go through it, you know, really evaluating all the people that are on it. And then underneath each person, you put, you know, there are three to five things that they do in that role um, that are the most important. And that's a real telling way of figuring out if one person is got everything in the company because you know they're um, they're you know they they're the one one manager and then there's twenty direct reports and then the rest of you know um, so but they're also doing work so that's a good way to kind of balance out what your org chart actually looks like your accountability chart but then also you know making sure that those people are are really accountable so you know coming up with okay you know, they're accountable for the marketing. So what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, you know, what, what metrics might you use to make sure that, that it's getting done? Um, so that's the kinds of things that, you know, discussions that we would have and then, you know, kind of um, revamping it as we're going along. And then from there, you decide if those people are in the right seats, if they're the right people um, and what other seats might you need um, especially given the, you know, if you can get some talents out there, what would you, what would you want? Maybe a business development person that you never thought, you know, you could get or would be available. Maybe that's something that you want to add to your, or, you know, your accountability chart. So, um, and then when you're having the right people, right seat questions, um, then going through and doing a roadmap, because then you want to say, okay, well, let's give this person 90 days and in the 90 days, we're going to meet with them. We're going to tell them, you know, this is what we need from them. Or we're going to, you know, push them off to a different department or a different role. Um, but we give that a finite number of time as well in a process so that everyone feels like, you know, they were given an opportunity to either, you know, stay in the role that they were or move to something else in the company or, you know, worst case, like, you know, it, it, it honestly is very um, magical in the fact that if you do try to work with somebody for 90 days, they usually figure it out and they will kind of almost move on on their own without you having to do much because they realize that, yeah, maybe this isn't a good fit for them. 
And I think you're being, it's being kind to them as well, because, you know, there's a place for everybody that's not necessarily here. It's better for them to be somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. And then how do you assess um, individuals internally and then uh, new, new potential hires? You, do, you, you recommend going through the testing, kind of the, the DISC assessments or the culture index or the Kobe's or, or is it a series of interviews? Do you have a process that you follow there that you recommend? Yeah, um, we like to use culture index when we're, you know, evaluating. And that's just so that we can figure out, you know, what's the best um, use of, you know, for that person. And so that they, we can make sure that that is, you know, somebody that, you know, would fit in that role. Um, and then also, you know, we, um, part of EOS is you come up with core values. So listing out the core values in an interview process and making sure that, you know, hey, can you give me, this is our, one of our core values. Can you give me an example of how you think maybe you've accomplished that um, in a prior experience that you've had at work? And letting them know upfront how important those are and how we really hold ourselves accountable as well to those so that, you know, they know that that's uh, something that we're going to be looking for. And that, you know, we're part of EOS and, or, you know, at least the core values and the mission statement of the company so that, you know, they also are interviewing the company as, as well as we are interviewing them to make sure it's a right fit for them. Because if they don't really want to do any of the core values, or they're really not, you know, they don't think customers should come first or something like of that nature, then, you know, they'll probably, you know, see themselves to another opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like almost a lot of HR work in this integrator role that you do. Do you yes. work, how do you collaborate with existing HR team members or do you bring in vendor partners? How, how does, I mean, how do you not wear like five hats by the time you're in, in the seat long enough as a fractional? Yes. So that's a very good question. So I just finished a good book by Dan Sullivan. That's the who, not the how. So when things come up like that, that is the first thing I think of is that I don't want to take on this responsibility. How can I find someone who is good at it? And, you know, either way, you know, get another fractional person in there, um, a coach, a consultant, something of that nature, or do, is this something that we need to, you know, fill on our accountability chart? And it is a, you know, the people aspect is a big component of any organization. Um, you know, so it, it, it does take up a lot of time, um, you know, a lot of issues in our L10 meetings, our quarterly meetings, our annual meetings are of people, you know, and, you know, what we need to do. Yeah. What else does an integrator do besides make sure the right people in the right seats? So one of the big things the integrator does is work with the visionary. And I think we have a, like a same page meeting is what it's called, either weekly or monthly, depending on um, the cadence that, you know, the, the visionary wants. But it's to make sure that, you know, I'm being candid with the visionary, you know, he's or she is coming up with ideas and, you know, just seeing what, telling them what I see, making sure that when we go to a leadership meeting or uh, an annual or quarterly meeting that we're on the same page and that, you know, we know what is best for the firm and um, that we can speak about any issues that we may have between us. But I really do think that it helps the visionary a lot because um, sometimes they don't have people to bounce ideas off of or, 
they don't have people that will tell them, yeah, you know, uh, what I like to do is um, we have issues and we have rocks for the quarter. Um, but sometimes an integrator or a visionary will come in and they'll say, well, we should implement Salesforce this quarter. Let's do it. And it's like, okay, well, that's a, that's a nice idea, but we've already have all these other things that we want to do. Um, maybe we could park it in long-term issues. And then when we come up for our quarterly meeting, maybe that's something we want to look at. Um, and I think that that's really beneficial because a lot of times, you know, the leadership team would just say, oh, that's a great idea, you know, and let's just move off of all the other things that we were doing that we all agreed were the best things to do for the quarter to hit our revenue goals or hit our, you know, quarterly goals of some sort. Um, so I think that that is a big role of the integrator is to say, hey, just, you know, put up a flag. Let's, you know, let's talk this out. Is this really something we need to do this quarter? Or is it really something that we could kind of wait on? And I think when you park it somewhere, I think they get a sense that, hey, you know, that's, it's going to be looked at. It's not going to be forgotten. Yeah. Well, I am, I've been described as a visionary in my own company and through the assessments. So I, I get the visionary side of things. I don't get the integrator side yeah. of things very well. Um, but I do know how important it is to have that um, same page uh, conversation and be and make sure that you're you're having a unified front when you're working with your team and trying to execute the plan. Um, is that a difficult thing to do as a fractional? Because you're not in the office every day. You're not around all the time. You are a fractional integrator. So by the definition, you've got multiple clients that you're supporting right. in your role. How do you intentionally make sure that same page is happening or the conversation are happening, happening enough so you guys can stay on the same page? Yeah, I think I get kind of a sense. I mean, we, I definitely schedule them out ahead of time, but I think I also get a sense of, you know, if we're going through um, an L10 meeting and it just doesn't seem to be firing on all cylinders, it seems that maybe the visionary is frustrated or the team's frustrated with the visionary. Um, so then it's like, okay, let's call a timeout and schedule a 15, you know, half hour conversation. Um, and what we like to do, I I use a, an app called 90IO. Um, and what's great about that, and I don't make any money from it. So, you know, I just think it's a great product. But um, I, what you can do is you can put issues as you're going along in the week. And so a lot of times my visionary will start adding the things that he's frustrated about or things that he, you know, needs to bounce some ideas off of. So it's a good opportunity when I see like, oh, okay, we've gotten a, a buildup of things that are going on in the same page. Um, meeting issues, then maybe we should schedule something so we can kind of hash these out. But, you know, as a fractional, it is a fine line to, you know, you're not available all the time. But I think in large part, you know, if you can work around it and make sure that you're giving everyone the time that they need, um, I think it works out pretty well. Yeah. So how does an organization know if they need an integrator or a fractional integrator? What would be some of the symptoms or problems they were having? So I would say if they're really trying to, like I said, get off the ground and, and get some, you know, goals moving forward, and they just always seem to be bogged down, um, things never get accomplished, there just doesn't seem to be anyone in an oversight position to, you know, um, make sure that these things are getting done. Um, one of the things in, in 90 that I like so much is that if you've got a quarterly rock, 
um, you can have milestones underneath it because a lot of times someone will say, okay, um, we're going to implement Salesforce this quarter and everyone goes, great, that's going to be your rock rate. And then every week you're supposed to say if it's on track or off track. So meaning, are you working on it? Is it going okay? Off track means, hey, I got to raise my hand. I don't, I, I'm getting stuck. Well, a lot of times people just blow through it and say, oh yeah, we're all good. We're all good. And then it comes to the end of the quarter and then someone says, hey, yeah, I didn't do, I didn't implement that. Um, so the nice thing with the milestones is the milestones can be set and then they actually roll into your to-dos. So as you're going through the meeting, you can say, hey, um, doesn't look like you contacted Salesforce or hey, doesn't look like you, you know, are starting to implement it or see if it, you know, works for our system. So um, it's a it's a better way to gauge how you're going through it. Um, so without an integrator to kind of like manage that, um, things kind of like fall through the cracks. And then I think people get frustrated um, with yeah. the whole process. And then what kind of criteria should a company use when they're trying evaluating hiring a fractional professional uh, integrator? I think a lot of times it comes down to, you know, how well that that person's going to work with your visionary and how willing the visionary is um, and accepting to um, listening to an integrator or anyone from outside. Um, you know, I've had a, a couple of conversations with um, one individual. He was, he said, well, his implementer said he needed to get an integrator. And I said, okay. Um, well, there'll be meetings, you know, we'll have an L10 meeting, we'll have department meetings, we're going to have, you know, same page meeting. And he said, well, I can't, we can't spend any more time in meetings as my, at my firm. And I get that. I'm not, you know, I'm, but you're, it's almost like he's checking a box. Like my implementer said to get an integrator. And so, you know, here we go. And I'm like, that's not going to work. So I think you have to be willing to want to put the work in because it's not just going to happen organically. You know, you're going to have to actually do some, you know, some work yourself, when you get the integrator, they're going to push you a little bit. And so I think it's a, a lot about the personality meshing. And then also, you know, if that person is, you know, someone that you're comfortable with and um, want to be on your leadership team. And if it's, uh, if it's a decision that they're willing to make the time and they find the right person that they're comfortable with, what are some of the other criteria that you think are important that businesses consider when looking for a good integrator? I think it would make a lot of sense to, you know, really make sure that that is um, a direction that you want to go with either externally or in, first of all, look internally, of course, because if there is somebody that already knows your business and, you know, Hey, um, then that, then that works out great. Um, but if you're looking to go fractionally, I think you want to make sure that that person is somebody that, you know, has the same kind of work ethic, work style, um, that you have, um, maybe even bring them in for, you know, a meeting and, you know, I, that's at least what I do and kind of, you know, sit back and take some notes and on, on how their leadership team is, is working. And then maybe the next time, you know, I, I'd lead a meeting just to see, you know, how, um, things would go, um, utilizing me. And then that way it gives some sort of comfort level of, is this somebody that we want to work with? Um, do they have the, you know, characteristics of, of what we were looking for? Yeah. As an integrator, you've got to be, um, I mean, you're overseeing everybody at some level in the organization. Mm -hmm. So it's not just appeasing or making sure you can work well with the visionary. It's no. making sure you can collaborate well with every leader. 
Correct. Yes. Is, does it become kind of a, a decision by consensus then, or is it ultimately still a decision that that visioner is making and, and the others leaders might have to just live with it? I think it starts with the visionary um, because I think if that doesn't work, there's really no point in it being collaborative, but I, I really do think that it is part, you know, the leadership team should weigh in and they should, you know, decide if that um, is something that they're comfortable with. That's the whole point of the leadership team is, you know, making decisions um, so that it's not always just the visionary and their point of view, but also the, the leaders that he's, you know, they're paying money for and they're paying for their expertise. So they want to make sure that they're utilizing them and asking them, you know, their opinions. Yeah. How many times has it happened where you've come in, you've come in and realized there's a, a person on the leadership team that might not need, shouldn't be there for one, yeah. maybe not the right person or right person, but just in the wrong seat. How, how often does that happen? So that happens a lot, unfortunately, especially when I don't come in in the beginning. Um, what ends up happening is um, the leadership team is seen as um, like a big shiny star of, you know, everybody wants to be on it. Um, and it's a lot of work and people don't realize that. And, and it's not just, I'm gonna attend meetings, it's I need to participate. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it's everyone, you know, was invited uh, who's a manager. Well, that's sometimes that doesn't need to happen. And, you know, there could be one person that manages, you know, another person that that other person doesn't need to be on it as well. So that is a conversation. It doesn't always mean that they're, um, they're not in the, the right people, right seats. It, sometimes it just means like they just don't belong in the leadership team, um, but their role is still great. And they can be ahead of a department meeting because we also roll out, you know, we have department meetings that so that not everything is hashed out at a leadership level. Some things need to be hashed out, you know, on the finance level, marketing level, um, so that you can then bring the solutions or bring what issues really need to be addressed to the leadership team. But um, yeah, and then, you know, it's, it's an uncomfortable conversation, but you have to ask people to, you know, we're, we're going to move forward without you. Um, but that's, you know, definitely part of the process. Yeah. Do you find yourself spending uh, a pretty normal amount of time with each client or some clients have a higher demand than others, or does it, does it ebb and flow based on uh, you know, type of business, seasonality of business, um, fires that come up, you're, you got to dive in. Like, how does, how does your workflow change? Yeah, it ebbs and flows pretty, you know, substantially. So, you know, one person they'll need, um, you know, uh, extra attention if they're, you know, in the middle of an acquisition or they're in the middle of trying to, you know, hire or fire somebody. Um, sometimes there needs to be additional attention paid or, you know, um, they're going through their annual process of, you know, coming up with their goals and rocks for the quarter. And maybe, you know, we need a couple of meetings just to figure out what our revenue goals are or what we're going to do for the year. So it just, it, and it depends. So um, kind of depends on the client, and it could be seasonal. It could just be um, a one-off. So you come from an accounting world where everything's, typically by the hour. Is that how yes. you approach your pricing as a fractional integrator or is it more of a flat uh, scope of work? Yeah, it's more of a flat scope of work. I find that um, even in the accounting realm, we have gone to, you know, fixed fees because um, okay. I think people are just um, are comfortable with that. I think that they 
will, um, you know, raise their hand and ask you a question or want to put a meeting on the calendar more than if they're, you know, they're thinking, oh, that's going to cost me X amount for, you know, her to be there. Um, so I think that everyone's just more comfortable with a, you know, a, a set amount and that they know what's going to happen. Yeah. And then that's where the scope uh, conversation Correct. comes up and when yes. things ebb and flow with a flat fee, how do you manage that? So I think, you know, you, you have to give people grace to know that it's, you know, if it's just a one-off or, you know, they just need some, some extra help, but if it does seem to be like, you know, you're being pulled into too many things, you kind of have to throw up a flag and say, Hey, I don't think I need to be involved in all of the HR meetings or, you know, all the finance meetings, like, you know, um, because that's not what we agreed upon. And I think generally people are, you know, pretty um, okay with when you tell them, Hey, that's that gets back to, if you've got a good core value fit with the organization, you've got a good relationship with the owner, you can have those conversations when they're happening and you can jump in when you need to solve the right. problem, put out the fire. But if it starts to becoming too taxing, you say, Hey, we, this is, we need to adjust our expectations or engagement. And yes. I think that's a lot about life is just, you know, getting the expectations managed and making sure that you're upfront and, you know, you're like, I'm not hiding anything. This is what I'm going to do for you. And yeah, when you have something that comes up, I'm willing to help you, but you know, we have to um, maybe negotiate that if you're going to continue to have that come up. Yeah. I love the fractional integrator role. It's it, to me, that's the scariest one for a, an entrepreneur or visionary or business owner to let go of. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been thinking a lot about entrepreneurs just really should only have one hat. I think that's the biggest that's, lesson well, entrepreneurs need to learn. Absolutely. That's the what they say in the accountability chart is that you can't have two seats. So you, you know, you're, you're at your best use if you can just have the one hat. Yeah. So if you're yeah. a visionary and that's, you started your business and you can grow your business, so you can see the next business or the next opportunity, that should be your one hat. And when you're wearing multiple hats, it just takes energy away from the one hat you're really good at wearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I understand when you're first starting out, you want to do all the hats, you know, everybody does. That's just, that's just human nature. But again, you know, going back to what your best use is and what the best use of your time is for the company and, you know, how, you know, you can propel it forward. Yeah. So if a company is run by an integrator and that's the right hat, then they don't need a fractional integrator. But if it's yeah. companies run by a visionary, who's also playing the integrator role, yep. then that, that company should think about fractional first, full-time second. I, I'm a firm believer in that walk before you run as you're, especially as Agreed. you're offloading leadership level duties within the organization. Uh, I see it all the time in marketing. A lot of times the, the leaders are wearing marketing hats also. It seems to be another one that's hard to let yes. go of. Yes, absolutely. And uh, if with the advent of the fractional leader, and the great resignation, now is the opportunity for organizations to, to look at their leadership team completely differently than they've ever been able to before. And those that are getting the, that top tier talent into the, into the boardroom, into the leadership team and solving bigger challenges and finding opportunities that um, you, know, you can't do if you're wearing too many hats. You just can't see all those different um, opportunities as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's an opportunity cost, really. I mean, you know, you, you think that it costs money, but, you know, it also costs what you could do. 
yeah. and what, you know, what business development you could have, or, you know, if you brought in somebody for marketing who actually knew about marketing, yeah. what could you accomplish? What, how much more could you get? I need to get you into my sales appointments with me so you can talk opportunity costs <laughs> with my clients because you're an accountant. You can have that conversation a lot better Absolutely. than marketing. Anytime, <laughs> anytime. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of it. Yeah. You gotta, you know, it, it's like the who, not the how, you know, you can, you can, I mean, you can learn accounting. It's, it's not rocket science, but who, you know, if you don't want to, and it's not, it's not something that you're good at, then outsource it, give it to somebody yeah. else. Absolutely. And companies have you know, historically outsourced accounting pretty easily and, and legal pretty easily. But when you get to things like operations, customer service, mm-hmm. sales, marketing, that's a hard one to let go of. And then when you look at the leader, the business owner typically has done all those things as yes. they built the business. And yes. now they're holding on to ones they think no one else can do better. That's a hard one to, to break. Yes. When they think no one can do it better than them. That is a hard thing to get over. How do you overcome that for some? Uh, I think just like really um, showing them that that's not true, that there are people that, you know, um, expertise out there that they're missing out on because they think that they're, they have to do it themselves. And also, you know, showing them that it, it it's going to, it takes so much time when you're not good at something to do something. Um and it's so inefficient when you can, you know, outsource it to someone else who can get it done in a fraction of the time. Um, and then you can do what you, you know, what you do best. Yeah. I, yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. I know, I know. So um, what else do you do for fun uh, besides accounting and, and integrating? What's your, uh, some of your hobbies? So I'm from Cleveland. Um, so big sports. So um love the fall, um, you know, the Cavs and the Browns and, um, watching that. And then, um, on top of that, I, I like to volunteer. I've got a couple of organizations that I'm on the board, um, for, and, um, I would like to, you know, kind of, uh, give back and also do something a little outside of what I do on a day-to-day basis and, you know, um, help other people. So it's a good mix. When you give back, are you giving back your time and, and expertise, like as a an accountant or an integrator? Or are you giving back your, you know, your other? Are you donating your energy in other ways? Um, typically, it's uh, you know in the finance end because that's usually um, the big need. Um, so, um, but you know, I um, also you know love to facilitate and, and help out where I can. So I do you know try to do all things and whatever is necessary. Yeah. I think that's great. So many nonprofits and other organizations uh, have struggles with uh, getting good leadership expertise. And right. it's not that they don't have good team members already, but some of that strategic really uh, experience is out of reach. Uh, so right. to be able to bring that level of expertise into a team and, and help out uh, is so meaningful, so valuable. Yes. And then to get a different perspective on, you know, to have a nonprofit and to work with them and, you know, their struggles instead of, you know, just a for-profit corporation is a a little different too. So it's very interesting. Yeah. uh, When I got into marketing, I actually left the mortgage uh, industry and started into the marketing industry. And I went in uh, with an intention to do at least half my business with nonprofits. And so I ended up starting a video production company 
um, about a dozen years ago. And I still have that video production company. We make the videos that um, make you want to cry and, and give more money. Uh, but I got to know nonprofits really, really well. And the need is so great for mm -hmm. um, what they do. There's not a nonprofit out there that doesn't do good work. <laughs> they all Absolutely. Do work. Absolutely. Um, and there's not a nonprofit out there that does need help and whether it be resources or time. So the more people can give, uh, I just uh, focused on trying to provide a good service to help them raise money um, at, a, you know, at affordable cost. And it was sure. super fulfilling work, uh, still is. Uh, but um, gosh, it's, uh, it's tough. The last couple of years for nonprofits have been really hard. Very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to raise money when you can't have an event. I mean, that yeah. is their bread and butter. Now, some of the nonprofits did find ways to go virtual with their events. Oh, and sure. It was interesting because some of our clients on that side of the business uh, or in my other business, they raised less money but netted more because they didn't right, have because, expenses. And that's another good point because, you know, sometimes you don't need to do a big fancy dinner and realize that like maybe if we scale back, like we could, you know, get the same because you're doing it virtually, um, you're getting, you know, this much money. So if you just did a simple luncheon or, you know, a get together instead of, you know, the big five-star event, maybe you would, like you said, it's it, at the end of the day, net more and yeah. have less stressed out people because those events right. are always so stressful. <laughs> right. They are. They, 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 there needs to be a, like a fractional event coordinator for nonprofits oh. there. That's a good idea. Yeah. We, we can, you coming up with all the ideas. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Just not we me. need to get it like grant funded. So it didn't cost them anything. That would be the, that would be the perfect mix for a nonprofit, right? That would be amazing. All right. Well, we, we could work on that on a little site. Yeah, absolutely. Site. I definitely would be willing to do that. We could solve that problem. That would go, that'd be a, a big deal. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, what else should we talk about? Do you have anything, uh, other thoughts on fractional leadership? You, 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 where do you see it going in the future, the, the, the fractional leaders? I, I, I think it's an interesting uh, um, time we're in where you've got this yeah. influx of talent. A lot of people are looking to, to free up and focus on what they love and the, the demand there. Do you see it continue to grow? I really do. I mean, I think it's come, we've come a long way from, you know, needing someone in a seat in an office um, for anyone that we hire um, and to be able to, you know, keep your eyes on them at all times or if you need something. So I think we've really, you know, in the last couple of years have figured out that, hey, we can do things virtually. Um, someone doesn't need to be with me 40 plus hours a week um, and I can get as much benefit out of someone who's just working, you know, fractionally, then I can, if, you know, I'm getting someone of lower value, that's going to sit there for 40 hours and, and do whatever. So I really think people are starting to realize that. And as well, people are realizing that that's something that they want to do, um, right. that they want to do fractional work. And, you know, there's a lot of good fractional people out there now um, to help you with that. So, um, you're getting, it's like the best of both worlds. People are finding out that they need fractional people and people are becoming fractional. And I just think it's a, a win-win. Um, and like you said, you know, um, you can hire someone fractionally. It's not, um, a long-term commitment. Um, it doesn't have to be five to 10 years. Um, and if you decide that, Hey, maybe I'd like somebody full-time either, maybe that fractional person would know of someone or could help you um, you know, 
get that person up to speed as well. Uh, so I just think that there's a lot of upside. Yeah. How do you, how do you um, see that with the influx of fractional professionals, how do you see the average business owner be able to discern between the good fractional professional and, and, and not so good one? Yeah, that's always a, a, a big issue because, you know, it's a, it's a lot um, to take on and to trust somebody with. So you want to make sure that they are, I would say, you know, looking at things that they've done in the past, um, you know, whatever roles that they've had kind of um, again, going back to, you know, the interviewing process, making sure that they're in line with your core values and your beliefs, um, you know, maybe getting them in for a, a shorter consulting period, just so that, Hey, you know, no hard feelings if it doesn't go one way or the other, but um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big time commitment and a big process that with some payoff, but you know, you, you need to do the work. Yeah. And what do you, what would you say to a new um, person entering the fractional world that uh, some of the blind spots they might have coming into this space? I think it's um, definitely good to get your processes up in place so you know when you get an engagement how you want to run it and to make sure that you're putting you know your things in place so that you know it doesn't get out of hand or out of scope or um, away from you so I would make sure that you have that foundation built and you know maybe what apps you might want to use or how you're going to convey that um, in from the get-go so that you have some idea of you know they expectations going into it. Um, and to just make sure that, you know, it, it is have to be a right fit for everyone. So if, you know, it's not a right fit, you know, you can, you can decide that as well. Um, but to, you know, to have fun with it and make sure that that's something that you want to do, um, then it, you know, it should just kind of all fall into place. Yeah. That's great. Well, you've been, you've been wonderful to talk to. You've got a lot of, yeah. uh, experience and, it's fascinating how you can go into a company as a fractional integrator and uh, COO and just take over. Um, it's, 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 it's kind of concerning or not concerning, but it's just, you are taking on a lot of trust in the, in the, that business and that business owner has got to believe in you and, and you really well, because you, you continue to grow your business and your practice. Yes. But, well, um, thank you. I applaud you for that. That's a, it's well, a big role. Thank you. I really like it. It is really what I've just, um, all my skills up to now have kind of led to this. It's really, I really enjoy it a lot. Well, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach out? Yeah, you can send me an email at uh, Sharon at EAI.vision um, uh, or go to our website, which is EAI.vision and um, check us out. Yeah, I'll, we'll have those links and contact information in the show notes. Perfect. But, um, well, great. I will uh, look forward to talking to you again uh, at one of our Fractional Professional Association meetings. Yes. Oh, so yeah, absolutely. We didn't talk about that at all. We but didn't. It's, uh, it's a great group of fractional professionals out there. And um, we get to learn and connect with each other on a regular basis. So I look forward to seeing you the next time on the call. Absolutely. It's a great organization. I really like to being able to hear other people's perspectives being fractional and um, bouncing ideas off each other. It's uh, I learn a lot. Yeah, it's great. All right. Well, thanks, Sharon. Thank you. It's been good. We'll talk soon. 
And that's a wrap. There's another successful episode of the Fractional C-Suite Retreat. See our show notes and more episodes at fractionalcsuiteretreat.com. This podcast is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow, save time and money with better marketing strategy and fractional execution. Visit them at yorcmo.com, yourcmo.com, spelled wrong on purpose.